morning, I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to camp out there today. Um, we're in this series called Christ Has Come, and this is part 2. Matthew 2, verse 6 is what I'd like to read to you before I pray. It says, but you, Bethlehem, would you say Bethlehem? You, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler. I'll give you a little sneak peek. That's Jesus. Who will shepherd my people Israel. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for the opportunity that we get to come as a church family to be here to worship you, Jesus, to focus on you, to give you our hearts and adoration, to remember and appreciate you. And God, we just love you today. Open up our word, excuse me, open up our heart to your word. And Lord, let it speak to every single one of us. Your word has power and it has authority and it is useful for our lives. And we just say, Lord, by your spirit, speak to us through your word. Lord, I pray for the empowerment the leading of your Holy Spirit, God, to share what's in your heart. It is a privilege, but God, my desire is just to see what's in your heart impressed upon the hearts of others. We love you and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we started with this series, Christ Has Come, and and what I've been doing is I've been fascinated this year with kind of the the situation of mom and dad and what was what were their lives like and last week we looked at Mary and Joseph at their willingness and uh, their obedience their willingness to sacrifice and be misunderstood and all this willingness in the midst of some mystery and they got to participate in this amazing miracle of Jesus and his birth and and today I want to share that story with you from a different vantage point one of the things I love about the gospels is you have these foretellings, if you will, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's like standing in different parts of the room telling the same story. And maybe you would emphasize parts that someone else wouldn't emphasize. It's like when, when you and a friend tell a story and like, you remember certain details and they remember certain details. And you're like, how could you forget that? And they're like, I want you to remember this. That's what the Gospels are like. And so it gives us all these different vantage points. And I'm going to do something a little bit different today. Um, I normally will... Do scripture, some lessons and insights, some more scripture, lessons and insights, and kind of go back and forth. Today, I want to kind of go into like storytelling mode um, because that's what the scripture is doing. It's telling this story uh, in the book of Matthew of the birth of Jesus, excuse me, of Jesus' childhood is what we're going to look at in those early years. And I want to tell you the story and kind of color in and give you some of the, uh, the, the fullness of what we're looking at. And then at the end, I'm going to give you um, some of those insights and lessons from Scripture this morning. Is that okay? Matthew 2, verse 1. We'll read several scriptures verses here. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judah, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born? King of the Jews. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, by no means are the least of all the rulers of Judea, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly 
And he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. (laughs) This is a neat story. I've got a a few spoilers here for you I'll warn you about. But these these magi, they are actually pagan astronomers. astronomers. So they're not like... um, you know, Jewish followers or anything like that. And they would interpret the sky and they would predict the rising and falling of rulers. And apparently God got a message to them. Our God, God, he got the message to them that a new king of the Jews was going to be born. And so they responded by showing up in Jerusalem because where would you find a king of the Jews? Well, they reasoned it must be in Jerusalem, right? So they show up in Jerusalem. And I do have to tell you, I'm very sorry to report that these were not three kings on camels. They were, in fact, these you know pagan astronomers from the east, and um, we actually don't know how many of them there are. The reason traditionally they do three kings on the camels is you know, they've traveled far from the east, and one has gold, and one has frankincense, and one has myrrh. It just says that they had that, but apparently it was probably quite the large entourage that came in because not only did Herod noticed, but all of Jerusalem noticed that these folks were there. And and, uh, they were all disturbed because they came saying, where is this king of the Jews? Can you imagine like somebody just rolls in the town? Where's this new king of the Jews? What king of the Jews, right? King Herod, he is this uh, Gentile king, which is a way of saying he wasn't a Jewish king. He was set in by the Roman um, Empire over Jerusalem and that whole area of Judea. And he was a wicked and particularly paranoid king. And he was especially paranoid when he found out that the Magi were talking about this king of the Jews. And and so that's why he reaches out. He reaches out to the teachers of the law and to the chief priests. And he's like, tell me more. Tell me what's going on. It's kind of interesting that these pagan astronomers go and they talk with King Herod, who talks to the Jewish teachers to find out where jesus was going to be born and and uh, king herod finds out it's in in bethlehem because it was prophesied that right and so so he's going to tell the magi exactly the address if you will the the location of where they are and um and these these jewish rulers when they are trying to figure out where he is what do they do well they go to scripture and they're like, okay, there was this scripture in Micah that prophesies that he's going to be from Bethlehem, so he must be in Bethlehem. And so here's Herod, he's like, secretly, this is the setup, right? He's like, okay, hey, now I want you to go to Bethlehem. He's in Bethlehem. You're going to find the Messiah there. He goes, listen, once you find him, come back and let me know, because I want to go worship him too. No. That's not what he wants to do at all. Actually, what he wants to do is he wants to make sure that Jesus is killed, that this king of the Jews 
cannot take his throne, cannot uh, threaten, threaten his power, right? And so the Magi go, and they find Mary, and they find Jesus in Bethlehem. And they give him these gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And um, when they're wrapping it up, they're warned, like, don't go back to Jerusalem like Herod has asked you to. Because, you know, he's got these nefarious kind of uh, intentions. So instead of, here's Bethlehem below Jerusalem, instead of going right back up to Jerusalem, they go around Jerusalem most likely and avoid it altogether. Can you imagine what it was like for Mary, for Joseph? Now, Jesus, by the way, is about two years old, right? Because it had been two years. As a matter of fact, um, Mary and Joseph have settled into a house. What was it like for this entourage to show up at their house and for them to get these gifts that are for a king, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. If, if it caused a stir in Jerusalem, I wonder what kind of stir it caused in Bethlehem. I'm sure the next time Mary went to Walmart, they're like, so Mary, I heard you've come into a little gold. I got some stuff on layaway. You know, people are doing great things with layaway these days. Why don't you come and pay off my... I'm kidding. They didn't have layaway or any of those kind of things. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. But when Herod finds out that he was outwitted, that these magi did not come back and they did not report the location of Jesus or anything like that, um, he was super insecure. And so he orders this infant side, meaning like he said... All males to and under in Bethlehem or surrounding Bethlehem, go kill them all. That's crazy. That's like dark and demonic and terrible. And it makes you look at those kind of things and you go, man, the world is jacked up. Like that's messed up. I mean, certainly there was another way to commit murder than that. I mean, like, I guess if you're already there, right? It's just terrible. And the neat thing in the story, in the midst of that darkness, is this angel comes and appears to Joseph in a dream and says, listen, you've got to get out of town, and you've got to take Mary, you've got to take the boy, and you've got to head to Egypt. And once King Herod dies, he has another dream, and it's like, okay, it's safe to go back. And so he would move his family back. But because Herod's son took the throne, instead of going back to Bethlehem, it says that Joseph went north of Jerusalem instead of south of Jerusalem, went up to Galilee, and they settled in Nazareth. And so um, the wild thing is as you're reading this with Matthew and you're reading through this scripture, Matthew keeps throwing these these little things in and he's basically saying listen when you're reading the story and you're seeing all these crazy things that are happening god foreknew it long before because it was the lord who prophetically put it into scripture that he would be from bethlehem the very scripture that gave him the location there was another scripture in exodus where it says that out of Egypt, he would call his son. Well, how is it that he's going to be born in Bethlehem? How is it that he's going to come out of Egypt? And then later on, he's a Nazarene, and he's living up there. And people are like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And they don't realize, no, he's from Bethlehem and out of Egypt and all. And God sees it all. And 
that foreknowledge, sometimes we look at that foreknowledge and we go, look at him. Look at the Lord. He's prophesying that he's going to be from Bethlehem and he's prophesying that he's going to come out of Egypt. But you know what he's also doing is he says, I see the whole story and I know what's coming and I want you to know that I know what's coming. Because the very reason they're in Egypt is because of a wicked king who wants to kill them. And so we don't often think of it this way, but really Mary and Joseph spent a few years as a refugee because they were fleeing the power structure to get out. And I think, can you imagine, like, what was it like for Joseph and Mary? Like, what was it like when Joseph said, listen, we're moving to Egypt? Like, I am sure that was not in Mary's plan, right? Like, a lot of things that are happening that are not in her plan. Does anybody here have plans? And, you know, first of all, their marriage begins... Or before their marriage even begins, she's pregnant and with child. She's told, you know, the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. You're, you know, you're going to have this child. Joseph, who's ready to quietly divorce her. We talked about this last week. He's ready to divorce her. But because of a revelation of the Lord, he's like, okay, I'll stick with her. And he gets the same revelation that this child is from the Holy Spirit. And here they are pregnant before like what an interesting start they go down to bethlehem there's no room for them like i'm thinking you get the son of god you at least get a hilton at least at least for the night that you're having the baby right but that scripture that i read in isaiah 53 like jesus wasn't given advantages in that sense because he took on our humanity and he experienced it and his family experienced it. What was it like to settle down in Bethlehem? I think it was probably pretty pedestrian, pretty kind of normal and easy. I mean, just kind of a very normal life, not very luxurious, not, not, nothing like that. And, you know, they're living there, and Jesus is two years old. And in my mind's eye, I'm thinking, like, they've got the baby gates up, and they've got the plug protectors in, and all those kind of things. Not really. But, you know, like... Jesus is running around getting into stuff and things like that. And all of a sudden, you know, what is it like to have this entourage of these spooky Eastern people show up who followed a star? And they're like looking through the Torah going, it's not in my Torah. What, what are you talking about? These, they show, and we have gold, frankincense, and myrrh for your king. And they're like, oh, okay. Like, well, yeah, we, we kind of knew there was something special in God spoke to us and said we're having the savior of the world. but you know what what is it like and then to go from that to exile like one day you've got all these people and all the neighbors are probably looking going what is going on and the next day you're gone because as soon as Herod finds out that he's um he's been gone around by these these magi he's on he's ready to you know send the, send people there to kill these children and so they go from this Gold, frankincense, and myrrh to like pack it all up, Mary. We're headed out of town. Like, their lives must have felt like quite a contradiction. Like a real yo-yo. You're up, you're down. Miraculous, being born in a stable. Miraculous and amazing, and here we are in Bethlehem. People are giving us these kingly gifts, and now we're refugees. Like, it certainly could not have been part of their plan. This beautiful couple and this beautiful child, 
are in this fragile and broken world. There's a, there's a show that me and Elizabeth and Caleb have been watching. Um, it's a new Star Wars show by Disney called The Mandalorian. And I did not anticipate that, but thank you, James. Long story short, if you remember the early Star Wars, there were these bounty hunters, and the Mandalorian's a bounty hunter, and he goes out on this bounty, and he gets this cute little baby um, Yoda. And it, I don't know how they can make Yoda look so cute, but he's got these big ears, and he's green. He's like, and you're like, and then, you know, at one point, he uses the force to save the Mandalorian, the, the bounty hunter's life, and you're like, oh, this is, so, and they're like, it, it, the whole story is this strong Mandalorian and this fragile Yoda who you know is going to grow up to be something great, and yet they're in the midst of this messed up universe. And there's like the safety of him and the promise of him, and you're rooting for baby Yoda, you know, and it's like, come on, baby Yoda. And I'm thinking, when I'm watching this show, I'm thinking like, what was it like for Jesus in this, you know, well, I, so, you know, you go to class and, you know, you're, you're, you're etching into your Barney Rubble Stone. I'm just kidding. But, you know, you're like telling me about your summer. Well, I lived in Egypt this summer, you know, and it's like for the last few years. And then I was in Bethlehem. Like, like it's not a normal life. And not a normal story, and yet there's so much promise, and we're looking at the story going, it's Jesus, and we're like just getting excited. Just wait till he gets to the wedding, baby. Just wait till, you know, he raises somebody from the dead. But like they're just watching this child with this couple. And they're living this life with so much promise in the midst of a very fragile and broken world. Does that sound like any of our lives? You know, the Lord watches over his promises. Even in the midst of a broken world. And we can feel like our life is such a a contradiction or that our life is is such a yo-yo at times. Then the question is like, so where do we find our anchor in all of that? I love what Jeremiah 29:11 says, "For I know the plans I have for you," declares the Lord. "Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future." What was it like for Joseph and Mary and Jesus to be heading to Egypt, king and savior, and heading away from everything they were promised. Do you think maybe they were wondering what was up? Maybe they were, they were saying, no, 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 no. This is not what I was thinking. This is not the plan. I'm, not, I'm headed in the wrong direction, not the right direction right now. And yet God is so gracious in the midst of all of this. Hey, Katie, welcome home. For those of you on the podcast, Katie's home from college. Now back to our regularly scheduled message. The Lord, he watches over his plans and he foresees what is coming and he foresees these contradictions that you are facing. Everything Jesus faced was predicted in Scripture. We didn't even realize in that moment when he was predicting out of Egypt that it was like a security. It was like an anchor. It was like a, you're going to come out of Egypt. How does that work? I wonder, 
I wonder if they found that scripture along the way and went, hey, honey, we're supposed to be in Egypt. You know, maybe they, they found it there. You know, God, he's just not surprised by the trials you face. He's not surprised when you're caught flat-footed. He's not caught flat-footed. And the challenge is, for us, is that we so often, we're looking towards the promise. And yet, we don't have a way to interpret the contradiction. So, what do we do? Well, there's a lot of wrong things that we can do, and I think a lot of us have done them over time. Sometimes we can hold, hold it over God's head and say, hey, Egypt was not part of the plan. I don't know what's up, but, you know, everything's going fine, and now I'm in Egypt. What's up? Are you a promise keeper or not? Or sometimes the, the contradiction, you know, it, it, it gets in front of you, and all you can do is just look at the contradiction. And, you know, you and I are reading the story, and we know you're going to get out of Egypt. You're going to go settle in Nazareth. Like, God's got a plan. We know it. But see, we know it because we're reading it and we've read the rest of the story. Can I tell you that he has read the rest of your story? He's read the rest of your story. He's written the rest of your story. And we can get so locked in that moment that we forget where to look. And we can just look at the contradiction. We can just look at the frailty. We can just look at the brokenness and let it just throw us off. But you see... Mary and Joseph didn't worship Egypt, and they didn't worship the contradiction, and they didn't worship those things. They worshiped God. And God spoke to them of when to go the other way, and God spoke to them when to go back. And the thing is, is God is really good at speaking to us. And there are, there are places that we can look and learn what God is saying. And that's Scripture. Because when we read in Scripture, it says you will face trials and tribulations. A lot of us go, check, got that one. But what does the rest say? Well, there's these promises and there's this hope and there's, this, there's, there's, there's all of these amazing things that God has for us. But the contradiction can derail us. The brokenness of the world can derail us. But the thing that that you got to see is Jesus lived in that. His family lived in that. Somebody, sometimes you're like, I feel like somebody's out for me. Jesus would go, check. Yeah. He felt the same way. Moses felt the same way. They were trying to kill all the children and God miraculously saves, saves Moses in the midst of all of what he's facing, right? And, and, and the Lord takes care of, of Jesus and you can felt, feel pursued. You can feel misunderstood. You can feel like this isn't the way it's supposed to be. I know if somebody told me that my child was the savior of the world, I would think, man, life was going to be really good. And that's not exactly what happened for them. And yet, they stewarded the greatest gift to you and I, our Lord Jesus. Can you imagine the, the privilege of getting to raise Jesus? Like at least one kid who... How many of my kids are in the room? Not too many. One kid... Never mind. 
I'm not going to finish. Abigail's like, <laughs> I won't finish that sentence. I have this theory. This is not, this is not theology. This is theory. There's a difference, right? I have this theory that when they were at the wedding, when Jesus was an adult, and you know they ran out of wine, I think, I think his mom Mary was just like over it. Like, I've been waiting 30 years. Just do what he said. Like, I think she's just ready. She's like, I know he ain't normal. I know there's something really special about him. Let's get this going. He's like, woman, it's not my time. And just do what he says. Done. That is the Mike Hennigan theory. That is not theology. We have to make that distinction. I, you know, in our lives, we feel that tension many times of like, let's just get on with it. Let's just see the promise. Let's just see that thing. Let's just, let's just move on. But the thing is, is you, you have to be honest and with integrity that we are supposed to have this great hope and this great expectation. And we have these great promises, yes, that we are receiving. And it's absolutely true. And we know, we know that we've received promises. We know that he has forgiven our sins. And we know the good things that he's done in our lives. But so many times the contradiction shouts louder. And the fragileness of the world shouts louder. And man, it will it will speak so many lies to you. The reason that you're facing this is because you ain't like those other people. And God don't like you as much as he likes them. And his promises are more for those better praying people than you pray. You don't pray good enough. You don't know enough. You don't, and the, the, the contradiction, the fragileness of the world will shout lies to you to interpret itself. But you've got to go to the word and let the word be the one to interpret it. And when you don't understand, that's when you've got to make a decision. You've got to make a decision about the nature of God and who he said he is. That's, that is where faith really comes in. Is he good? He said he's good. Is he good? I believe that he's good. And it's like, but there are things that I don't understand. Yep, but am I going to... Take the thing I don't understand and build a thought pattern or a lie pattern or something myself around it. Or am I going to take that mystery and put it in his hands and say, I don't get why we're in Egypt. This doesn't make sense to me, but I'm not going to remove my trust. I'm not going to remove my hope. I'm going to love you. I'm going to worship you. I'm all in. Here's this point in Jesus's life where. It's getting close to him going to the cross. And there were times when Jesus, with his words, would be very drawing and very inviting. And people would just get all the warm fuzzies. And then there would be times where he was like, so direct that people would be like, I'm out. One of these moments was near the end when he says to, to a crowd of people, he says, listen, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood if you want to have any part of me. If Jeremy looked at me and said, said that to me today, I'd be like, dude, you're gross. Cut it out. Don't ever say that to me again. I'd be like, that's just like that's just normal people, let alone a Jewish person, right? Blood and flesh and like I mean it's like so many wrong things with that statement in their mind. Well, a lot of people turned around and laughed. And in this moment when people are turning around and leaving, because basically they're leaving because they don't understand, or they're grossed out, right? What do you do when you don't understand? Do you punish God? 
I don't mean that meanly. I mean that gracefully. Do you punish him? Do you find ways to, like, pull back from him or, or hold something? Like, like, do you have ways of doing that when you don't understand? Or do you just draw closer and draw closer? He says the same thing to his disciples. He says, listen, do you want to leave too? It's just one of the most beautiful places in Scripture because these disciples are with him, and they just said, Peter spoke up for them, and he said, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. What I love of that, you have the words of life, excuse me. What I love about that is they didn't go, well, Jesus, we, we get it, we understand. And all those plebeians are like, they don't get it. And we understand, you're talking about communion, it's all going to be fine. <laughs> it's not like that. It's, it's just not like that. They're just like, I don't know, Jesus, but no, I'm not leaving you. I'm all in. I'm just going to trust you more, even though I don't understand what's going on in this moment. You're talking about eating your flesh and drinking your blood, which I have no understanding what you're talking about. But in your, in your own life, like, how do you handle the contradiction and the frailty of this broken world that you live in and the things that don't make sense and the things that don't line up? You don't you know, feel like they line up with the promise. That's the hard part is when you feel like the promise is A and the contradiction is B and they, they seem completely in, in contradiction with one another. I, and we have this, like, I've got to work it out. You don't. It's overrated. Because actually, if you work it out and you figure it all out, you're playing God. Now, don't get me wrong. God gave you a mind. He gave you a spirit. He gave you a will. He wants us to understand things. But we have to remember that we are finite people trying to understand an infinite God in the universe and a universe that it's broken and we can't see everything. And so where do you, do you put your trust and where do you put your hope? And I, I just, when I look at this story and I think about what did Mary and Joseph walk through. I look at it and I go, they had the greatest promise in the world. And all this contradiction and yo-yo life around them. Up and down and up and down and just all over the place. I think, I know that the Lord, what he's looking for us is he's looking to our hearts. And he's looking for us to trust him and put our trust in him. And to follow him when we understand and when we don't understand. To celebrate the wins and to celebrate the ups. And when we're down to go, I just trust you. I don't know why I'm headed to Egypt, but we're going to Egypt. Lord, let it be quick. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to pray with you today. I think...